This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportstalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network on a Monday night. Hope you had a great weekend, busy weekend, lots to talk about. And your phone calls will be coming our way, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number for you here on Sports Talk, and we'll get to those phone calls coming up here momentarily. Phil Kornblut, Chris Bergen, Bergy from the Bergy Palace down in Sardis. Josh Cohen behind the the board tonight, taking your calls and getting you online with us. Again, the number, 888-898-2525. Well, what are we going to talk about? The uh, it's, it's incredible how similar those losses were on Saturday and Saturday night between South Carolina and Clemson. Just incredible that you have two teams at home, and they blow double-digit leads, and they have a tie-up late that goes against them, and the opponent, in both cases, scored off the tie-up to take the lead, and in both cases, each had the ball last with a chance to win, and each missed. And they take gut-punch losses that, you know, they should not have taken. I mean, those are games you got to win. Those are games you got to win. At home, and they did not get it done. So the Gamecocks were on their first losing streak of the season, falling at home to LSU and Clemson, which was starting to look pretty good and starting to put some things together. Uh, They take a tough loss at home to NC State. And so, as a result, of course, they have – well, South Carolina has slipped to 51 in the net ranking after that loss – and Clemson, as of today, is at number 28. The Gamecocks do stay in the AP Top 20. They're ranked number 20, so they fall from 11 to 20. While the women, who had their struggles yesterday with Georgia but got it together in the third quarter, then pulled away in the fourth quarter, and they still stay number one unanimously in the AP Women's Rankings. So we'll talk about that. Of course, baseball over the weekend South Carolina, Clemson both sweep their respective series. The Gamecocks get a seven-inning no-hitter from five of their pitchers, their first no-hitter in the program in almost uh, 11 years, going back to uh, 2013, in fact, February of 2013. And we've got some baseball going on this afternoon. We've got the Daytona 500 being played out as we speak. So a lot to cover, and as I mentioned, the Daytona 500 – They're in the second stage with 33 laps to go. And, of course, it really doesn't matter who's leading now, but Todd Gilliland is your current leader, followed by Joy Logano, Martin Truex Jr., Justin Haley, and Tyler Reddick. They had a big wreck early that I missed. I didn't see it, but I understand it took out a bunch of cars. So this might be a situation down the stretch. Last man standing going to get the checkered flag there at Daytona. So, Chris, all of that, and you were able to uh, watch a win by Coastal Carolina. Yes. In fact, the Shauna Clears 
won twice last week. Yeah, first two-game winning streak for Coastal coincides with the first two-game losing streak for USC. Used to have a buddy of mine that would call that his physics because if one sport was doing well, the other sport had, at your school had to do poorly. So yeah. There may be some truth to that, but I was expecting us to take the day off today since it's a national holiday and since the Tigers and Gamecocks took the day off on Saturday, hmm. figured we could take the day off today. Well, that's a good thought, but we don't we don't take days off. Well, not President's Day, to say the least. We do take a couple of days off here and there, but not President's Day. No, I get that, and, and we need to be here to discuss what we saw over the weekend. But Saturday, you're right, you cannot lose those ball games, especially if you're the Gamecocks. Clemson's got a little more wiggle room. Though, Phil, Clemson's sitting there with only 17 wins. I know. I mean, they, you know, they're sitting inside the top 30 in the net rankings, and they've got a really good strength of schedule and all that kind of stuff. But then you look, they're not winning enough games. And last year was a situation they played so well in the ACC, they got hurt by their non-conference schedule. This year it's the exact reverse. They're being helped by their non-conference schedule and not being helped a whole lot by their play in the ACC, but both teams if, if something were to happen down the stretch that neither one of these teams make the NCAA tournament, you can circle February 17th as part of the reason. Because if you're up 10 at home and you're Clemson, just go hustle. Go get rebounds. The, you know, play some defense and take care of the basketball. Uh, another turnover play situation down the stretch for Clemson, for the most part, they had taken care of it. Done a pretty good job throughout the ball game, but late made some critical mistakes. And then for the Gamecocks, I don't know what has happened to them this past week with regards to their defense. But yeah, in a game that was decided by a point, how big was that layup that LSU got right before halftime? Big, you, big. I mean, you're up nine, it goes to seven, and it turns out to be a huge play, and then just some mental lapses in the second half. I mean, neither one of those teams should have lost those games. You're up 16 at home, you're Carolina. That's got to go to 30. You've got to blow LSU out. Same thing for Clemson. They've got to win that by 20. And when we look back, I'm hoping we're not having this discussion in a month, but if we look back – you can circle this weekend as one of the major devastating blows for both those programs. Well, the thing about that play you're talking about right before half is that the Gamecocks had the ball, and they went too quickly on offense. They did not eat up all the clock or most of it as they should have, and they left LSU with about five seconds. That was number one. Mistake number two, they let – I think it was right. They let him drive down the court all the way to the basket Mm-hmm. and did nothing to deter his route. Nothing. And you're right. Those two points came back at the end of the ball game to really bite South Carolina. Bad and loss. Too, you talk yeah. about bad losses. And two, that's two what will be considered bad losses at home. Mm-hmm. Georgia and LSU, two teams that may end up with losing records uh, or, you know, nothing that's going to get them into the NCAA tournament. They'll be viewed as bad losses at the end oh, of the no, day. No. And both of them at home, that makes yeah. their work – that much more difficult. And when you look here at the the end of the schedule with a road trip to Ole Miss coming up Saturday and you got to go to Texas A&M and you got Florida and Tennessee coming to Columbia and then you, you got Mississippi State to wrap it up in the regular season. Th- those are tough ball games. Those are, even though Texas A&M is so hot and cold, I mean, they're either really good or they're really bad. Tennessee will come in with vengeance on the mind. Florida will be uh, looking for – NCAA tournament points, and, you know, they had a big win over the weekend. Uh, and Mississippi State's always tough at the hump. So, And then there's Ole I Miss. Think, Ole Miss will be looking for yeah. revenge oh, yeah. uh, down there Saturday. So Gamecocks got their work cut out for them. I don't, I don't know that you can say right now they're a cinch for making no. the NCAA tournament as we thought no more than seven days ago. 
I think they probably still have to win about four more ball games. They've got to get to 25 wins in my mind to have a, a legitimate shot and be comfortable unless they win the SEC tournament. Then you get that auto bid and you don't have to worry about it. But they've got to get 25 wins, I think, at least. And you worry about Texas A&M because Wade Taylor could go off for 30 points. You know, as you pointed out, Ole Miss and Tennessee are going to be coming in wanting to uh, repay the favor. Ole Miss probably thinks they should have won the first go-round in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And certainly Tennessee feels like they played probably their worst game of the year against the uh, Gamecocks. So, yeah, USC's got a lot of work to do. And what's the status of Michi Johnson? I mean, how big a factor would he have made down the stretch late for them maybe as a steadying force? But he goes out in a concussion protocol. I mean, is he going to be ready to go on Saturday? Good I question. That's another concern for mm-hmm. USC. Good question. Good question. Then there's Clemson. And then there's Clemson. At home once again, got a double-digit lead. You've really got the game under control. And then NC State, they hit you with a run late, and you make a mistake, and then there's a turnover, and then there's the tie-up, and there's basket, there's basket. And once again, Brad Brownell had a timeout in his pocket. I guess you really can't complain about the shot that Hunter got. I mean, he got to the rim. He got all the way inside to the rim and missed the layup. Now, could he have been fouled? Could a foul have been called? Maybe yes, maybe no. There was not a foul called, and they lose the game. So, I'm just saying, I don't think you could – you could have called a timeout to set something up. Probably wouldn't have gotten as good a a good yeah, a look as they got. I, I kind of like Brownell's decision to let his team play through that because also you get a situation where the defense is in scramble mode. They're trying to hustle back and get set up. If you call a timeout, it's not like the women's game. You don't get to move it to midcourt, and you still have to inbound into the backcourt. So you're probably going to face a little token pressure to slow you down a bit. So, no, I, as, as much as I've harped on him misplaying the uh, final stretches of the Georgia Tech game earlier this season when he should have fouled up three late, no, I think he handled that scenario correct. It just didn't work out. All right, phone number 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. We'll get to your phone calls in just a second. Got a lot of news notes to uh, to go over. The thing I want to touch on first, though, is a shout-out to all of our good friends. Let me rephrase that. A, all of, all, all, a, a good friend to all of us. Maybe that makes more sense. Uh, Gene Sapikoff. Gene wow, Sapikoff. news today. 38 years with the Charleston Post and Courier. Uh, long-time columnist with the Post and Courier, kind of the, the last man standing in that category here in South Carolina because I don't think there's anybody doing a regular sports column anymore like he did in the line of uh, Herman Helms and Dan Foster and Ken Berger and uh, Bob Gillespie for a while and uh, on and on. I mean, those are just you know recent names. There's many, many more we could cite. But Gene... In Gene fashion, because he is an understated guy, he just tweeted out this morning that um, he was he was exiting, he was leaving uh, the Post and Courier on his own, and uh, he talked about getting to work with the mo- amazing folks. Thirty eight years with the Post and Courier, uh, and to be able to leave one of the great jobs on earth, sports columnist in Charleston, on my own. Now. He tells us he's not retiring. He's going to go do some other things. Don't know exactly what that means, but we wish him the best. You know, he just spent a month. This is pretty amazing for those who, who, who don't know this. And this is Gene Sapikoff in the nutshell. He just spent a month in Israel volunteering to work with the Israeli Defense Fund. I think it's what it's called. Um, 
helping to supply uh, the Israeli uh, defense, the, the 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 fighters there with uh, whatever they need, you know, materials, food, um, right. you know, things that you you do from that standpoint. Uh, he was living there um, for a month. Um, I don't I don't know if he was. I don't think he was in a kibbutz, but I think he was in a town there. I don't know if he was in Gaza. I think he was in Israel, not in Gaza, but he was he was there uh, volunteering uh, to help uh, keep that supply line uh, moving. Pretty amazing, and I and I think from what he tells me that that had a big impact on him being there and going through all of that. It kind of obviously something like that would change your perspective on a lot of things when you've been there and you've seen planes flying overhead and you've heard the missiles going overhead. That changes your perspective, you know, when you come back and you're, you you got to write about high school soccer or something. You know what I mean? It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, no, I'm I sure do. it changes your view on things from a, a life standpoint. So um, he did tell me that Israel had a profound effect uh, on what he would like to do uh, later on in life. Uh, he's an amazing guy. You know, he's a, a runner, maybe even a marathon runner. He's from Colorado. Uh, what's interesting, too, is I just read a – a column that um, the father of the Gamecocks' new special teams coordinator was his high school teacher back in the ninth grade. So he's got connections wow. to that family going back to his days growing up in, in Colorado. So uh, we wish him well. Going to miss him. Going to miss uh, reading his stuff. Going to miss uh, seeing him around at press conferences and cutting the fool with him. But that's another uh, – Another big loss uh, in the media world here in South Carolina. Yeah, it's a shame. I've known Gene not nearly as long as you have, and I was wondering if his trip to Israel sort of changed his perspective because you're right, it's hard to go see that and see what's going on along the Gaza Strip and what's happening in the Middle East and then come back here and write about uh, Clemson NC State basketball. It, it yeah. kind of changes your whole perspective on life, and, and I'm wondering if he's going to take an opportunity. He did mention in his tweet that he's going to have service opportunities abroad. So my guess is, and I'm not trying to speak for Gene, he, he can certainly speak better than I can, but my guess is he'll probably go back to the Middle East, and I, I admire him and applaud him for doing so. Well, he's a deep thinker, too. You know, he's, he's not your typical sports guy. He's a deep thinker. You know, he, he, he goes, and you know, Kim Berger, the great Kim Berger, another close friend who we lost way too soon, was the same way. You know, before Ken was a sports columnist, he was a news reporter in Washington for the Post and Courier, and he covered things like um, – the atomic, uh, he was very close in writing, uh, he was very close in covering the atomic energy scene <clears throat> there in Washington and also here in South Carolina at the Savannah Nuclear Plant and wrote a lot of stories about the bad things that were happening sure. at that plant and with policy and all that. So these guys are much deeper than just your regular sports guys. So, all right, wish him well. We're just your regular sports guys. We're not very deep at all, are we? No, not to that degree. I, like I said, I just admire people who take a, on an opportunity like that. I, I think back to, you know, Pat Tillman and the influence that September 11th had on him to leave the NFL and go serve our country. Uh, and that, I guess it was, I can't even remember, the, uh, was it Desert Storm? Or maybe it was the first one, the first Gulf War. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, I mean, just, just people that take on a different sort of side of their life because they're impacted by something happening in the world, I just have great admiration for and Gene's one of those guys. All right, quick update from Daytona. They are lap 48 of the second stage, which is 65 laps, so 17 laps from the end, 113 laps in overall out of 200. 
Kyle Busch is now your leader with Kyle Larson running second, followed by Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Daniel Hemrick, 6 through 10, Corey LaJoy, Zane Smith, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Austin. Oh, now we've had a change here. Austin Sendrick just moved up. Yeah, green flag pit stops right now because they can't go the entire stage without having to pit. It's still – now it's Larson to the point, (laughs) followed by Blaney, Elliott. You know what is fruitless. LaJoy and and Sendrick, your top five. So we'll we'll move on. Um, Coming up later tonight, Coach Jim Toman will be with us, 730, just a bit outside after the first weekend of baseball. And South Carolina, Clemson, impressive, coastal. Uh, going one and two over the weekend for them, not the kind of start they were hoping for. I tell um, you, who was impressive at the baseball uh, baseball at the beach tournament? We can ask uh, Coach Tillman about these guys. Duke, mm. they hit they hit eleven home runs in their win over George Mason on Saturday. E- eleven in one game. That's a bunch. <laughs> I, I, let me say this about George Mason: after losing twenty six to nothing to the mm-hmm. Shots and then giving up eleven home runs to Duke. Their pitching might be suspect this year. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a team that made the NCAA tournament last year. Mm. I would I'm say their pitching sure is definitely yeah. <laughs> suspect at this point. All right, right, let's number take one s- and number two starters. Yeah, really. All right, let's take some phone calls. 888-898-2525 is our phone number. And, of course, why not start the week with Gamecock Larry, who is on a two-game losing streak now after all that winning. After all that winning, Gamecock Larry – you have to learn how to deal with defeat, the other side of the pillow. Two-game losing streak. What do you got to say about that? I word one bit. We are going to go. We are on a two-game losing streak. We going to go on a four-game winning streak. Mm. And talk about Tennessee coming here and all that. We going to put it on them. Cocky go top. I love going But let me tell you, I ain't worried about it. But we are the red-headed stepchildren of the SEC. Even the referees yesterday tried to give that game to Georgia. Hmm. And Dawn took it as long as she could. And she told them to put it on them. And we took them to the woodshed in the third. But if we ain't worried about it, we're going to go, go on a four-game winning streak. We're going to go to the SEC tournament. We're going to win three games down there. And we're going to go to the NCAA. And old Gamecock Larry say we will go to the t- Final Four. Mm. That's my prediction. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Because sometimes I'm right, and a lot of times I'm wrong. That's all right. <laughs> and McGrath, game calculator, the pronosticator, sometimes right, most times wrong. Mm. But let me tell you about my uh, drag racing team went to, D- did, went to Orlando, and my motocross team went to Orlando. And, man, they came back with so many medals and money and stuff. They won't even, oh, CW, oh, whatever they call it, Bad Daddy or something. Bad Daddy won't even talk to me. He got high cotton. They got, we got, a, but they had the game cockles flag flying high. 
and they threw that flag down there. But let me tell you about this Clemson team. And uh, Carolina, we lost by one game, one point. One point. Mm. Both of us had a big lead. We shouldn't have lost either one. But I don't like to say about the officiating, but that SEC, and I didn't see too, I couldn't see, but I listened to a little bit on the radio and sound like the ACC. They just got something against Clemson in South Carolina. But that's okay. We're going to be all right. But I just want to wish all of you have a good day. And Mr. Field, yes, we go. I remember that bet. I don't what I bet you. Was, what I give you fifteen points on? Well, you ain't won. Did you win yet? I, I I can't remember what you gave. You give me points on so many different things against the Gamecocks. I can't remember exactly which one you were talking about. Well, you listen to the game, Mister. You listen to Gamecock Larry. Put it down. I do like old Gamecock Larry. Write it down in your book. But I'm going to tell you, I got three books. I got Gamecock book, I got sports book, and I got a money book. Hmm. If my daughter takes dollar out of my account, I I call and I put it in the book. Get them three books. Write it down. If you if you like me, you can't remember. No, you 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 remember everything. But I'm all, I just want to tell you, I feel good. Mm. But, boy, I tell you, I had a rough weekend. And I tell you what. Well, we're, glad you're, we're glad you're feeling better. And we got to run. And Gamecock Larry, thanks for calling. Keep in Why touch. Why do you want to run every time you try to talk to me? Run, okay. Well, Go we, Gamecock. We've been on for four <laughs> minutes. All right, see ya. Four-minute warning. We give you the four-minute warning. Thank you, Gamecock Larry, which is probably two minutes too long. Uh, and it it may have been Saturday because yeah. he said before the LSU game that because he's made, he was upset with me mm. and he said that Carolina would beat LSU by fifteen. Yeah, and they should have, but unfortunately they did not. So that may have been what he was talking about. They did not. That's exactly right. Let's go to uh, our phones once again. Triple eight eight nine eight two five two five. It's Hank in Columbia up next. Hank, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine, Corn. Uh, Corn, uh, a couple of things. I watched that little reveal where they do the top 16 seeds or whatever. Yeah. And with the committee chair, one of the things they said was that unlike the past years, they weren't going to um, over heavily penalize teams for um, just their games down the stretch because there was a lot of fuss about people talking about not taking in the totality of the season mm-hmm. in the past and, and them, I guess, putting in – some teams that got hot real late that were horrible at the beginning of the year. Right. And and so uh and but also they had discussions about different teams and, and even on the SEC network somebody came up with a scenario with South Carolina. I think if South Carolina can beat Florida at home and get one more victory, um, they'll be in even if they're in, you know, their seating goes down. If you Lenardi updated his seating this morning and he still has Carolina as a six seed uh, I think he has them as a six seed, and Palm has them as a six seed, mm-hmm. um, and Clemson. But one of them has Clemson as a five seed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a scenario where we start to say they got to win five of the last six or four of the last six. From from what they were saying is they just don't they don't need to implode and, and get blown out four or five games, but 
Um, they they thought this stretch would be tough on them. Now, of course, LSU shouldn't have been tough on them. That should have been a win. <laughs> but um, the rest of these games, I said Carolina, as long as they're playing well, will actually move up in the net. Um, but if they win two of the next, uh, they should be they should be in even before headed to the tournament. From from now, this is already now. They said he's in the last four years, he's only missed one team getting in the tournament out of all of his predictions. Seeding might have been a little bit off. Well, they <laughs> can't play it. like they did Saturday and expect to to win four out of five. I mean, it'll go the other way against them. Um, Hank, I hope they, you're right, but I've seen it happen. But he doesn't have to win four out of five. That's what he did. Yeah, yeah, that's I've the seen it happen to him. The Gamecocks and Tigers got to do more than other teams. Well, twenty-three wins is going to make you awfully nervous on Selection Sunday. And I, if you're thinking they're in right now without winning a few more games, I think you're fooling yourself. No, he said back. Two, hang he on, said hang on, be five. right back. Back on Sports Talk, here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Cornblue, Chris Bergen, Josh Cohen, all together. 888 is the phone number you can reach us at. Go ahead and dial us up. Got some lines open. Continuing to monitor the Daytona 500. Ryan Blaney at the end of Stage 2. Ryan Blaney is your leader. Followed by Austin Sendrick, Daniel Suarez, Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, William Byron, Bubba Wallace, A.J. Allmendinger, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Chris Busher. All right, now, Chris, we're down to the money laps. Roughly um, 70 to go, 69 to go, 70 to go. 25 lead changes, 14 leaders, only three cautions to this point. We can expect another big one, I would imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. We can expect another big one, and... Who is now? It's time you can officially give a pick. Can officially give a pick, and it's like you know pinning the the tail on the donkey when it comes to picking a winner at Daytona or Talladega for that matter. So I am going to go with. Let's see here. I want to make sure I got everybody in the race. I don't want to pick somebody that's been knocked out. So I am going to go. I never go with the leader right now. Of course, he could be a leader, and then he could fall back, and then he could lead again. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in honor of the NBA All Star Game in which they broke the 200 point barrier. Can you believe that? You're kidding? Did they really? Well, you didn't know that. <laughs> no. Oh, the winning team. I don't team. watch the NBA playoffs. What's less the the ridiculous thing they try and call an All Star Game? 211 points for the East. They won 211 to 180 something, and people aren't happy. Those that care, <laughs> I wonder why. People yeah. aren't happy that they had that kind of a game. But in honor of that, I'm going to go with Bubba Wallace, currently in the seventh spot, not a bad sporting pick. the 23 for Michael Jordan. Yep, going to go with Bubba Wallace. Who's your pick? He's finished second at Daytona twice, if I'm not mistaken. And one thing, Bubba Wallace, he's got to improve his uh, 
you know, medium and short track uh, program. But he's pretty good on super speedways. That's not a bad pick. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to sentimental favorite, even though he looks weird not riding in the M&M's car anymore. Kyle Busch has never won the Daytona 500. He's sitting there fourth. Chevys and Fords look like they're going to be the ones to decide this. Only a couple of Toyotas, even though they were so good in the duels. Yeah, where's all the Toyotas all of a sudden? I I don't know. I don't know what's happened to them because they were really good in the draft on Thursday. But I'm going to go with uh, Kyle Busch. I think he finally finds a way to win at Daytona. Yeah, and I see your man. Wouldn't that be ironic? He he leaves, leaves, you know, uh, Gibbs Racing and moves over and and gets a new team and a new car Mm. and finds a way to get into victory lane in a Chevy. I see that uh, our man Gaz Grala who was the last man in the race, one of the first ones out, going out on lap five. Was he mixed up in something? Gal, uh, Grala, Burton, and yes. Hosevar. I missed the first part of the race. Yeah, they had a big wreck on lap six. Guys just got too close into one another, and one of them got turned towards the uh, infield grass, slid down into the grass, came back up onto the track, and ran into about two or three other cars. Yeah, it was a mess. Yeah. See and where Jimmy I, Johnson I went out. Jimmy Johnson yeah, was, went out on 126. In yeah. Well, he was involved in that crash earlier, too. And so I could see some of those veterans thinking, what are we doing? Five laps into the race, trying to drive like it's the last five laps of the race. Mm. So, yeah, I, I would have been curious. I didn't get to hear any of the, you know, coming out of the infield care center. That's when the best interviews are because those guys are still usually red hot about what happened on the track. <laughs> so I didn't get to hear any of that. But my guess is there were several people that were upset about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I shouldn't say they're out. Are all these cars still running? Because... I'm just looking down here at some of the stats, and I'm seeing, like, the last-place car. I'm seeing graphically turning some RPMs, and or is this just something? Did these guys actually get knocked out of the race, or are they just back there with damaged cars? Like Jimmy Johnson, guess, is he is he still running, or is he out? Let's see. I can't really tell by, by what I'm looking at, you know. I guess I could tell by the last pit stop. So Jimmy Johnson's last pit stop was on lap um, – Where's it at here? Where's it? Where'd he go? He was back here at the back of the pack, thirty fifth. Last pit stop was on lap one twenty eight. Yeah, he's still in the race then. Yeah, I guess he is. Yeah, one hundred thirty three last run, two hundred laps. Yeah, so I guess he's still in. Okay, okay. Looks like the only ones who would be out uh, would be those who were back here at the back of the pack. Yeah, those guys that are 130 laps back, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. think they're running anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, who took a last pit stop was on lap five. I doubt they're still yeah, running. That, that, would be, that, would be, <laughs> that would be setting a record if they found a way to drive around the two-and-a-half-mile track and only pit one time. So it looks to me like, okay, so Michael McDowell's running 36, and he pitted on lap 123, so he's probably still in there, which means there's only four cars out. Austin Dillon, uh, Kaz Grala, Harrison Burton, and Carson Hosevar. That's what I see. Not I being Burton able to look at in, the race. If memory serves, Burton was in the middle of a uh, three-wide situation. He had nowhere to go, and they turned into him, and mm-hmm. then he turned down to try and avoid it. And after that, it was just he was along for the ride. Yeah. Okay, now Brad Keselowski is to the point. So we'll see what happens here. Let me see where my guy is. Did you pick a guy? Did you say somebody? Oh, you went, yeah, with, went Kyle with Kyle Bush. Bush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so Bubba's moved up to sixth. I'll keep an eye on him. You keep an eye on Kyle Bush, where is he at now? He's at fourth. Okay. So you got number four. I got number six. And uh, Hank had one more thing to say, I think, after his phone call a moment ago. He hung on through the break, wanted to finish up. So what I was saying is that, I mean, you can't expect the Gamecocks to make the tournament if they don't win some more games here in the last three weekends of the season. Yeah, and that's not not what I said. 
Remember I said I said when they were discussing it, they were looking at the last final games basically throughout the SEC. And they were saying that if South Carolina won two of them, they had pointed to like Florida as one and then they pointed to either um, one on the road, whether it be A and M or whatever. They won two of their last four or whatever. They said that um, they thought South Carolina was comfortably safe because of the fact that the league, something that Mike Morgan talked about, that the league is viewed so strongly. They view like the league right now mm. was going to get nine or t- nine. It was like nine or ten teams in, and with two wins in their last, South Carolina would still finish in the top four or five of the league. They, I mean five of the league. So with that and their big wins that they had, especially the Tennessee on the road and Kentucky, now that Kentucky went in and beat Auburn and broke their home win streak, that they would be in. It didn't say you'd have a great seed if they only won two or five, but it said they would be in. There was there was no scenario where they said they had to go like 24, 25 games mm-hmm. because, of how, because of that league is going to get nine or at least a nine or nine or ten teams in, I think it was nine, in, and that South Carolina was they're, – they're finishing in the league with those wins would outweigh what they've had in the past. <laughs> okay. Well, so. I'll just say this. If they don't play better than they have the last two games, they're not going to win another game the rest of the season. I mean, they'll, they'll lose to <laughs> Ole Miss if they don't play better. they got to go back and find what they had during that seven-game winning streak. The ball's just not moving. They just aren't running their offense as efficiently. Now, they did a good job holding a team to 63 points. You know, that should be a W at home. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was, that was the end of that game was a problem, Corn. It, well, wasn't, it wasn't. They, they played boiling. They were up 15 with like three, three I know. and a half minutes to go. But You can't let Johnson a guy drive out, the length of the court right before halftime for, for a layup, you know, and Yeah, score. well, that was a mistake, but – but I think the bigger issue was when Michi went out, they had to play down the stretch with Stuti. And Stuti blew, when they were up 65 to 60, mm-hmm. his guy blew by him twice for a layup. And that got it to 64, 65. And you can see Paris visibly upset. I think that's some of the defensive things he was talking about. And then when they had it with five seconds to go, if Johnson's in there, you don't have to throw passes to get it down the court. You could have handed to Michi. And he was gonna get it. He was gonna get across half court, mm-hmm. and either get a shot or either be able to get somebody a shot. I think that everybody kind of looks and says, "Well, he's not having a good game. He's not scoring." But Michi does a lot for perimeter defense and perimeter speed. So that's yeah, my thought. They missed. They missed. That's it. Yeah, I mean, Michi could have perhaps on that last possession gotten the ball down the court on his own and created his own shot. Now he hadn't made a shot during the day, but he's still a guy that you give a chance at going out and knocking down a. A three-pointer like that didn't need a three-pointer. Knocking down a shot uh, and saving the day. They did give Wright a good look from the corner. It was a deep corner, and he got off a good shot, and he's a good outside shooter. But back of the iron, clang, clang. All right, thank you, Hank. You know, and don't forget, we talk about some of their non-conference games maybe aren't as strong as they should be. That Grand Canyon win mm-hmm. continued you know, way back in November. Uh, most people have forgotten about that. But Grand Canyon's only lost one other game this year. They're 24-2. and two. That may actually because they're probably going to be a tournament team out of the uh, out of their conference. What are they in the Mountain West? I'm trying to remember what league those guys are in. Hmm. 
Um, but anyway, I, that the whack, I'm sorry. But that's going to be a good quality win for them on the road. It, it may say neutral site, but, heck, when you play in Phoenix and Grand or where they played in Grand Canyon is just five minutes or whatever it was down the road, that's going to be a good win for them non-conference-wise. Yeah, when Talon Cooper hit that three to put them up three with 29 mm-hmm. to go, I thought to myself, okay, they're going to pull this thing out. Yep. But then they allowed a layup. They had, they had another defensive breakdown. Jordan Wright drove through, got a layup, to cut it to one, and then the most important play of the afternoon, as it turned out, uh, they called a timeout. LSU did good coaching. They called a quick timeout. South Carolina had an inbounds under the LSU basket. They toss it over to BJ Mack in front of the LSU bench, which is you know that's already yeah, a crowded a area. Yeah. And then he gets double teamed, and he should have called a timeout, and he said so afterwards. But he failed to call a timeout. They had a timeout, failed to call a timeout. And that led to the possession arrow going to LSU. And then they have a drive, get fouled. Same guy, Jordan Wright, knocks down the two free throws. And and then LSU had a bunch of fouls to give. Uh, and they, they used it. Yeah. In that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway, it was uh, a, lot of, a lot of breakdowns there for South Carolina that um, they have not been having those kind of breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you don't have those kind of breakdowns when you're winning, but you do have these kind of breakdowns when you're losing. And so the question becomes, the seven-game winning streak when the Gamecocks were playing some impressive basketball, was that really – was that the real Gamecock basketball team? Or are we seeing more of what they're really like right here, right now, after what happened in Auburn? Because you feel like if you're truly the number 11 team in the country, if you're truly that good – no matter where you go, whether it's Auburn or Alabama or Duke or North Carolina, you might not win, but you're not going to lose by 40. True. Um, now, somebody could say, well, Corn, Auburn just went down to Florida and got waxed by 30, and they were ranked in the top 20. And, and that's true. And you wonder how – and then Auburn loses to Kentucky at home Saturday night. So, like, maybe we don't know how good any of these teams are because Kentucky's been sleepwalking through much, much of the season – and then they come to life at Auburn on Saturday night. Well, to Hank's point and something Mike Morgan has said about the strength and depth of the SEC, maybe that's part of the reason. It's just it should be difficult to win away from home. And I'll go back even further than the uh, two possessions you were talking about. Go back to about two minutes left to go in the game. The Gamecocks were up three. And LSU got two offensive rebounds on the same possession, then ultimately hit a three mm. to tie the game at, at, with about 90 seconds left to go. That just can't happen. That's lack of hustle, and that's the other team wanting it more than you did. And LSU was on some momentum. But if you get that defensive rebound and maybe you come down and score again, then it's a two-possession ball game, and you don't put yourself in that late-game scenario where B.J. Mack's trapped in the corner and he ends up in a jump ball or you have to force up a a three-pointer to win the game. You're probably not in that situation. You have to make three throws to win it. Well, look who's gone to the lead. The number 23, Bubba Wallace. Told you, the guy is good on, on super speedways. Your guy had a problem. He was limping around with a loose tire. I think he might have had to come in to get it tightened That's up. That's never good. He's 10th. Nobody likes to limp around on a loose wheel. <laughs> Be right back after the break. 
Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. Hi, this is Lisa Hosteller-Brown. Do you know the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust? The difference could easily save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in long-term care costs. Visit LawyerLisa.com to schedule a consultation today. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Daddy, you need a trust. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. George Bryant for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor, David Abernathy, has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar and training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device, whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. All right, got some open lines. 888-898-2525 is our phone number. want to remind you, you're looking forward to your spring or summer vacation. Spring is right around the corner. Summer, of course, will follow. You want to get down to the beach, and you want to call James Smith at James Smith Real Estate. You can call him Jimmy. Most of us call him Jimmy. That number is 843-237-4246 or pauliesvacationrentals.com. And don't be like me. Don't put things off. Get it done. If you don't get it done, then you're not going to get the location and you're not going to get the size. You're not going to get the price that you uh, that you want because they'll all be full. That number is 843-237-4246. Perfect beach getaway waiting for you, courtesy of Jimmy Smith at James Smith Real Estate. 888-898-2525. Quick check. A.J. Almendinger is now your leader. 31 lead changes. And then Daniel Hemrick, David Reagan, Noah Gregson, and oh, Denny Hamlin was my pre Denny Hamlin was my pre-race pick. He's up to number five. Would not be surprised to see him there at the end. Kyle Bush is number eight. 
Yeah, Bush is up to eight. Where did my guy go to? Where did Bubba? Bubba fell to 18th. What happened to him? Don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He took the lead. Next thing, next thing I know, he's 18th. Um, yeah, and they are down to uh, 144 from 200 would be 56. They're down to 56 laps. 31 lead changes. They're probably going to end up with about 50 lead changes before all this is said and done. 15 different leaders. That is roughly, would they start with 42 cars? That's roughly 40 cars. Yep. It's roughly uh, a little shy of one-third of the field has had the lead at one time or another. So, Welcome to Daytona. Yeah, it's and crazy. I think the fans have to be thrilled with the amount of lead changes, good racing for the most part. Now, let's go to uh, basketball and high school basketball because we're getting deep into the playoffs now. So, 5A boys, they will play their quarterfinals tomorrow. You've got Dorman going to Malden. You got T.L. Hanna going to Burns. You have got Sumter going to Lexington. And St. James going to Somerville. You know, um, our Wednesday night sessions that we have talking high school basketball, and Coach Combs has talked a lot about St. James and how good they are this year. And they're proving it. They're into um, – Round number three of the playoffs, so they'll go to Somerville, and I guess Somerville's pretty good as well. As we head toward the semifinals, which will be February 23rd, that's going to be at the Florence Center, and then they'll play the state championship games there as well. Now, 4A boys, they are going to play their quarterfinals on the 22nd, and you've got, uh, you've got let's see here, Catawba Ridge and Riverside. Okay, Catawba Ridge and Riverside. You got Greer and Lancaster. You've got Richland Northeast. I'm sorry. You've got Westwood against James Island. Westwood against James Island. And you've got Wilson against Ridgeview. And those are set for February 22nd. Three Don't let A Wilson boys. win that game and get into the lower state finals over here in Ooh, Florence. Pack the place, won't they? Sold out. It absolutely will. Yeah. Uh, quarterfinals for three A boys will be on the twenty first. It's Fountain Inn at Powdersville, and it's Blue Ridge at Wren. It's Darlington at North Charleston, and it is Crestwood at Lower Richland. Okay. And now to the two uh, A boys, their quarterfinals. Will be coming up on the oh they're tonight they're playing those tonight and so you've got Strom Thurmond at Keenan you have got Fox Creek at Gray Collegiate Gray Collegiate has just annihilated their opponents they beat Chesney ninety one thirty nine and they beat Abbeville seventy nine forty three those schools are thinking those guys can't move up fast enough. <laughs> And then on the other side, the other side, the other side is, I hate to say it, I do not like how the high school league does their brackets because, um, oh, there we go. Okay. You've got Andrew Jackson at Hampton County. Shout out Tiger Bryan. Andrew Jackson at Hampton County, and you've got, Oceanside at Marion. Okay. 
I better pick up the pace. That's 2A. And then 1A boys, 1A boys, we've got quarterfinals on the 22nd. And it's Christ Church at McCormick. And North is going to be hosting High Point or C.A. Johnson. I don't know if they've not played yet or if they just haven't filled in the bracket. But that space, that spot is is empty. Other side, it's Bethune-Bowman at Burke and Cross going to Carver's Bay. All right. Girls. 5A girls. Looks like this. You got Rock Hill at Malden and J.O. Mann at Gaffney, Ashley Ridge at Sumter, and Somerville at Goose Creek. 5A girls. 4A girls in your quarterfinals playing on the 21st. It will be South Point against Riverside and Westside against North Augusta. Bluffton against Ridgeview, and Wilson against A.C. Floor. The higher seeds will host. I don't have time to look up on the sheet which ones are the higher seeds, but the higher seeds will host. We go to 3A girls, and it will be Blue Ridge at Daniel, and West Oak at, uh, West Oak at Wren, Darlington at Crestwood, and Camden at Lower Richland. And the 2A girls. 2A girls, 2A girls, and they'll play their quarters tomorrow with Keenan at Landrum, Silver Bluff at Great Collegiate, and then you've got Andrew Jackson, shout out Tiger Bryan, at Woodland, and Bishop England at King Street. Takes us to the last but not least, 1A girls. Playing on the 21st, it'll be St. Joseph's at Christ Church, neighborhood rivalry there, Denmark Oler, hosting Southside Christian. And then you've got Carver's Bay playing at Lakeview and Allendale Fairfax at Military Magnet. There you go. That's what's ahead with the high school playoffs winding down. And we'll hit this break on Sports Talk. We'll come back with more. Got some open lines if you'd like to join us. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network, Monday night edition from our studios in Columbia. Phil Kornblut, Chris Bergen with you here. 888-898-2525. Update from Daytona. They are down to 41 laps. Make it, they're down to 40 laps. And Denny Hamlin, ooh, Denny Hamlin has moved to the point at Toyota. He was my pre-race pick. I promise you to stuck with it. It's a good pick, yeah. Kyle really Busch. good pick. But Kyle Busch. Has gotten back up to number two, and uh, he's right there. Corey LaJoy, third, Dennis Logano and Bell, then Reddick and Bowman, Larson, Elliott, and Truex round out your top ten. Where did Bubba go? Bubba dropped down to um, number 13 after he took the lead. Must have got out of the draft or something. And he has faded. Then again, 13 
Maybe he's in a good spot, going to avoid the big one that's going to come at about lap 190, 195, somewhere in there when the big, big one hits. <coughs> Excuse me. Right now it's Denny Hamlin on top of things. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Let me drink some iced tea. You had something you wanted to say about Great Collegiate? I actually did. I think this brings up an interesting conversation that you can have with Coach Cones for Hooping and Holleran on Wednesday. Of course, there's a lot of push talk about possibly bringing a shot clock to high school basketball. I see the, the pros to it. I also see the cons in terms of expense, having somebody that's trained to run a shot clock. I can see the negatives on the flip side. But at the end of the first quarter between Fox Creek and Great Collegiate, this is a third-round playoff game. It was 5-5. Five to five. And right now it is uh, excuse me, 29-21, according to Chris Deering, with two and a half minutes left. And uh, they'll probably both finish. Well, one of them definitely is going to finish under 30 points. And, I mean, is that what we want to see? How much time is in left? In high school basketball. Two and a half minutes. So, so Fox Creek came out and held the ball. Well, one of them did for sure. Well, I'm sure it wasn't great. I'm sure it wasn't great collegiate. Five at the end of the first. I'm certain it wasn't great collegiate. (laughs) Well, yeah, evidently, uh, 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 let's see, Fox Creek, according to uh, Chris, they ran a uh, version of the four corners. They led two to nothing midway Mm -hmm. through the first. Well, I well, I wasn't part of this. This would have been the. uh, I think the year before I played high school basketball. So this was back in the. Mid seventies, Lava, home of champions, was playing North Myrtle Beach for the seven double A championship, which was a big deal. That was back when conference or region championships were big, big deals. I guess they're still big deals, but this was a big deal. It was Lava and North Myrtle Beach, and North Myrtle Beach was uh, so much bigger, taller, more athletic than Lava was. And so our coach, the great Eddie Rice, he called for the stall. And the score at halftime was four to two. Wow. My memory's right. Four to two, six mm-hmm. to four, something like that. Latta just held the ball or dribbled. Just dribbled. And right. I don't know if North Myrtle Beach stayed back in a zone or what, but it was like four to two, six to four, something like that at halftime. And it worked because Latta ended up winning in a huge upset on the road to win the, the conference tournament championship. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's you're right. Uh, that is something they're talking about. Though I, I tell you, there is something to be said about that four corners. Nobody ran it better, of course, than the, the team that invented it, and that was North Carolina, because they had the perfect operator, a guy named Phil Ford. Yes. And if you ever saw Phil Ford play in person, whether he was running the four corners or running – a regular offense, you would say that he was one of the 10 best college basketball players of all time. You would put him in the same category with Jabbar and Jordan and Bias and whoever you want to throw in there because Phil Ford could single-handedly dominate a game because of yeah. his ball-handling skills, yeah. his scoring ability. Oh, he was great to watch. Ugh. That guy was fantastic. He's he was one fantastic. of the top ten point guards of all time. I'm not sure you can put him in the best players, but certainly at that position, there were very few that were better. Mm. 
And so I guess the flip side to this, if you're a great collegiate or Fox Creek, you could come out and play man and try and prevent them from doing so. But I'd be curious to see what some high school coaches have to say when you get Coach Combs on later this week about that, if that is something that legitimately needs to be added to high school basketball in South Carolina. Yeah, good point. We'll bring that up. If he's able to reach us on Wednesday, I'm not sure with the high school tournament schedule what his schedule right. will be, but we'll hopefully we'll, we'll have him on. Uh, let's go back to the phones, 888-898-2525 is the phone number. Uh, it's Keith in Camden with us next. And, Keith, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? I'm doing well, Phil, Chris. And uh, joining you all a little late, so if I ask the question you all covered, I don't mean to be redundant. It's okay. Going back to the ball game, when uh, we had the lead and Lamont was hollering for them to foul, did we not have a timeout left at the end of the game? when we were up three and yeah, he yeah. wanted them to file. Yeah. yeah I, I, I believe. Yes. There. I'm sure you did. I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think we did. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we just, man, we let that one get away. I was just puzzled. But yeah. I mean, what were uh, you, where, where were you, out. where were you thinking like, well, he, you can't call timeout if you don't have the ball. Obviously, you know that. No, you can't, you can't, right. you can't. Um, I, just because they did, you know, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, let correct. me double check the play by play on the inbounds after LSU went ahead. I believe South Carolina called a timeout. Double check here. I think they called a timeout to kind of set up their last play. Um, see if I can find that here in the play by play real quick. But I think they called a timeout to set up their their last inbounds play. The ball got knocked out of bounds. Ball got knocked out of bounds near half court, and then the Gamecocks were able to inbounds again from there, and that's how they got the ball to right in the corner to get that last shot off. Let me see if they yeah, had a but, timeout uh, after that ball. Let's see, after they hit the the free throws, did they call a timeout? Yes. They did call a timeout? Okay. Yes, they did. All right, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Where I'm talking about, Phil, is when we scored the basket, we went up three, you would think. You mean after they I hit the know. three, after um, Cooper hit that three? Yeah, well, what I mean, going into that, when we know we got a three-point lead. Well, you five, were up. You were up 60-57 to 57 with 55 seconds to go after Cooper yeah. hit the – no, let's see. I got the wrong one there. That's B.J. Mack. Cooper hit his B. three. B.J. Mack. Well, Cooper hit a three with 17 seconds to go to put you up three. Right. And at that point, you would have thought we would have And they did have a timeout left because, remember, they used it. But, I mean, B.J. Mack knew they had a timeout left, at least one, and didn't use it when he got tied up. Right. Well, And he lamented that in the postgame. He brought that up in the postgame. He said, I should have called a timeout. He said, I knew there was a timeout available. I knew the possession arrow was going to LSU, I should have called a timeout. Yeah. Oh, well, we let that one get away. Yes, they did. They certainly did. And, uh, you know, no more grace, love, and mercy we get. That that could haunt us, but we'll see. Hopefully well, not. I think when the committee looks at things, uh, let's see how it plays out. I think that uh, they got to win some games here. I think two bad losses at home to, you know, L- to LSU and to Georgia. Two teams that are, well, I'll pull up where they are in the net, but those aren't good. Those aren't, no losses are good, but home losses to teams like that 
are not going to help you when the committee starts talking about things. Georgia is 98 in the net, and LSU is 88 in the net. So not good losses at home at all. Well, uh, we'll just have to hang on and see. But, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. And the fact that everybody's been putting, you know, LSU the last few weeks, their defense has been in the locker room. But uh, it's just one of those games. Y'all have a good one. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the Gamecocks are 58 in the net. The highest they've been in the net all season, Chris, is 26. Their low was 71. Ken Palm has them at 54, if you're a Ken Palm believer. How much do you look at Ken Palm? I don't look at a whole lot of either one of those, but I I sort of trust the net a little bit more because that seems to be where the selection committee leans heavily and most is on on the net rankings. And if Hank's correct, and I'm not disputing what he said he heard, uh, from different people like Joe Lenardi that South Carolina, maybe two more wins would be enough for them. When you're sitting around 60 in the nets, I'd, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. I, I still think they've got to get about three or four more wins to feel really good about themselves heading into Selection Sunday. Again, if they don't run the table and win the SEC tournament. Yeah. Right now I can't see that happening. Too, too many teams are, are just playing better than they are right now. And, you know, look, Kentucky, they're so – they're so talented. I mean, you know they're going to step on the gas at some point in time, right? You know, it's just they're just they're going to step on the gas at some point in time, like they did at Auburn this mm-hmm. past Saturday. I mean, they were like, okay, we'll go show the nation what we yeah, really can do. Yep. But it's time. The Gamecocks, they have two quad three losses. They're three and three against quad one teams. They're four and zero oh against quad two. They're six and two against quad three teams because of those those home losses. Um, you lose a game at home between a number 76 and a number 160, then, um, you know, that's going to go against you. Yeah. So um, what do they have left? The Gamecocks will play at number – this is by the net – number 65 Ole Miss at number 45 Texas A&M, home to number 28 Florida, home to number 6C, and then – finish the regular season at number 38 Mississippi State so not overwhelming if you go by the net the only the only matchup there on paper of course they've already beaten Tennessee once there but can they muster up that kind of performance like they had at Tennessee you know that was the kind of performance that kind of established them at that point in time I mean it was shocking Mm -hmm. they played great defense they held Tennessee 20 something points under their scoring average they didn't crack under the pressure, all that on the road. Can they get back to that? They're a little bit away from that kind of performance right now. Well, they did so with their defense. I mean, that's what allowed them to get this seven-game winning streak prior to the Auburn contest, and their defense got shell-shocked by the Tigers and then just disappeared at times at the wrong times against LSU. But the, the teams you're running through, that's a Tennessee team that's going to win at least 20 games. That's a Florida team that's probably going to win 20 games. That's an Ole Miss team that's going to win 20 games. That's a Mississippi State team that has a shot to win 20. Same is true as Texas A&M. So forget the net rankings. These are all really good basketball teams, and all with the exception of Mississippi State and Texas A&M, in the upper half of the SEC. If you split it down the middle, you'd probably run a line right between Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now. Uh, those guys and Texas A&M all tied at 6-6. Six and six. So, I mean, the schedule is not easy. 
and maybe that's what Hank was referencing, that the selection committee realizes that the back half of South Carolina's schedule is going to be awfully difficult. But I still think they've got to find a way to get some wins, and especially when you've left yourself very little margin of error with losses to two teams you should have beaten at home. Talk about Florida. They've lost seven Q1 games this year. But they're still, you know, otherwise they haven't lost anything. Every one of their losses. Every one of their losses have come against Q1 teams. Let's go to Charles up in, uh, over in, up in North Georgia. Welcome in, Charles. Good to have you with us tonight. Hey, Phil. How you doing? We're doing great, sir. Good to have you. All right. I don't normally call in. I listen a lot. I've been listening to you for 30 years. But, uh. I think a lot of people are saying that we had an opportunity at the end of the LSU game uh, for fouls to give, and we didn't take advantage of that. And then immediately when LSU got positioned, their coach knew they had fouls to give. And I don't get involved in all this stuff, and I love Paris, but it seemed like at that point we kind of lost it. Yes, that's a good point. They did have fouls to give. LSU used their fouls, uh, used one of them on the on the inbounds on the on the uh, which one was it? It would have been the first inbounds. No, the second inbounds. The Gamecocks inbounded yeah. it. The ball got knocked out of bounds. The review gave it to the Gamecocks. They inbounded it. They got the foul, which took them down from five seconds to three seconds. So now you got three seconds left, and they got the ball to right in the corner. Um, but the Gamecocks just played poor defense down the stretch as well. Yeah, they could have used, I guess when they went up three, maybe you could have fouled. Um, instead, LSU got a layup. Yeah, maybe you could have fouled on that drive, put them on the sideline, make them inbounded again. Um, you're right. Maybe, maybe he just thought, maybe he just figured his guys are going to play good, solid defense and they wouldn't have to foul at that point. Well, there was a lot of failure in there, and I would have made probably some bad decisions too. But it seemed like the LSU, LSU knew when to take advantage of the fouling, and we weren't prepared. That's okay, because uh, go Gamecocks, and hopefully we can pull it out. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Yeah, man. Good hearing from you. Uh, what do you think, uh, Chris? I mean, you – you see a ton more basketball in person than any of us do traveling with Coastal Carolina. You see the Coastal team, and you see the team on the other side, how they handle these foul situations when you have fouls to give. Trust me, I am a huge fan of fouling up three late in the ball game. I think after Talon Cooper made that, uh, that three-pointer to put Carolina up three, you had 30 seconds left to go. Probably too early to foul if, if your sole purpose is to prevent them from getting a three. You don't anticipate, though, that they're going to be able to cut right through your defense and get a layup. However, LSU did, so you're in a situation where had you fouled and you were at the seven foul limit, you know, Wright would have probably made both free throws, so you're in the same boat there. You just have to figure out a way not to throw it to B.J. Mack in the corner, and then you get fouled, and then LSU has to foul you again. It was a weird scenario. You rarely, if ever, see a basketball game with 13 seconds or thereabouts left to go, and both teams have two fouls. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost unheard of that there have been that few whistles. So I'm not so sure that they made a bad decision letting LSU play on. The problem was they just didn't guard anybody. Well, i got to be so honest got, with you. It was that drive was so easy, I thought yeah. they let him score. And maybe you I know, mean, maybe that I'm, was I the thought thing. they I let him know. score to get the two instead of the three attempt. 
I'm sure they didn't. But right. my thought was, okay, well, they, they just maybe they were just letting him score so they could get the ball back. What they didn't figure was that they were going to be tied up on the inbounds. Mm. Well, LSU scored, and they called a timeout, and they set their defense. And then the inbounds pass, like I said, number one, probably not the wisest thing to throw it in front of the opposing bench. No. Because not only do you have all of those guys yelling at you, right? I mean, they can't reach out and do anything, but they are in your face, and they are hollering at you and waving their arms. And then you get double team, so it's like a triple team. You've got the out-of-bounds line, you've got the bench, you've got the guys coming. But he had a timeout in his pocket, and he just failed to use it. It was a breakdown both uh, physically and mentally for the Gamecocks in that game. No doubt. All right, to the break. 888-898-2525. See what's happening up at Daytona. We've got 18 laps to go. It's Ross Chastain, the 38th lead change. Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chase Elliott, and Anthony Shrimp Alfredo. I just made that up. <laughs> Anthony Alfredo, Daniel Suarez, William Byron. Be right back. What does the 50th anniversary of Title IX mean? It means I'm valued. I'm empowered. I can do anything. It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blazed the trail for me. Because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in South Carolina high school sports. This message presented by the SCHSL and the South Carolina Athletic Administrators Association. This is Major Billy Downer with the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is right around the corner here in the Palmetto State. As you get ready for this spring and summer, make sure your registration sticker is up to date and you have a copy of your registration card on board your boat. For more information on boat registration and answers to common questions, visit dnr.sc.gov. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Last throw, big guy. Come on, baby. I need me a giant bear. I got this. I am the target. Ben, throw. Oh, wow. Look who won a giant bear. (laughs) That's a grizzly. Oh, mama's baby bear. When you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Yeah, he's had all his shots. Just don't look him in the eye. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. All right, back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. And it is Ross Chastain still leading, 15 laps to go. Joey Logano is second. Then Stenhouse, Kozlowski, and Suarez. Let me hit a couple of other uh, quick notes, and we'll get back to your phone calls. And the phone number, 888 898 South Carolina said it's pitching. 
for Tuesday-Wednesday games. Eddie Copper, a freshman right-hander, starts against Winthrop. Brady Houston for Winthrop. Matthew Becker, who did not pitch this past weekend, he will make his first appearance of the season against Queens. Queens starter TBA. A lot of football news between Tennessee and Alabama. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN, reporting Tennessee is hiring William Inge as linebackers coach. She was co-DC linebackers coach under Kalen DeBoer at Washington last two years and was set to go to Alabama as outside linebackers coach. Instead, he is headed to the Vols, and then Alabama is going to hire Christian Robinson as outside linebackers coach, replacing Inge. She had been Baylor's linebackers coach. He is a South Carolina native as you might recall, a graduate of Georgia. And his dad played at South Carolina. And Alabama is set to hire Baylor offensive line coach Chris Kapilovich, veteran OL coach, was at Colorado, Michigan State, North Carolina. That according to Pete Themel. All right, back to the phones. And our phone number, 888-898-2525. And we're going to, what would you say? Ira. Ira in... Where? Greenwood. Ira, Greenwood, welcome in. How are you? Hey, man. How's it going? Good. First time caller. Great to have you. What's on your mind? Listen for years. Yes, sir. Uh, what really aggravates me about this whole weekend Saturday, you know, Lamont Paris, he tried to get his players to foul. They didn't do it. You know, and I never was a, somewhat of a Frank fan, but and I love what Lamont Paris is doing. But sometimes, you know, he needs to step up and get some people's faces and uh, try to get people to understand what he's trying to do. And uh, again, I like listening to this show, but. Uh, I think a lot of times these guys are he's almost too much he's almost too friendly with them. That's just my opinion. Too friendly right. with his too friendly with the players. Oh, you know, I mean, I think he's got a great uh, coaching aspect because he says he's a teacher, but sometimes you know what you you got to take control. And sometimes he, you know, late in the game Saturday when they were winning by 16 points and you lose, I mean, you you just can't have that happen. Well, I agree that when you're up 16 at home, and thank you, Ira, great hearing from you. Call us again, man. Appreciate it. When you're up 16 at home, I'm not going to say you shouldn't lose, Chris, because teams lose – but you can't lose like no, that. you shouldn't lose. I mean, no. well, you say shouldn't. Maybe <laughs> you really shouldn't. Maybe you that's shouldn't. That's you shouldn't. There were 17 minutes to play. I mean, that's a long time to protect a 16-point lead. It There's is. still 17 minutes to play. The three-point game has changed everything, of course. No doubt. I've been around long enough to know that. All right, be back in a moment.
Okay, back on Sports Talk. Coach Jim Toman, just a bit outside coming up in just a second. But, Chris, just like oh, the in the – just like in the TV show Sanford and Son, Daytona 500, they had the big one once again. Just like uh, Mr. Sanford always was having the big one. Remember he'd have the big one in oh, Sanford yeah. and Son? Oh, yeah. Saying he's having the big one. That's having exactly what one. happened at, at Daytona with nine laps to go. It's taken out, to, uh, gosh, probably ten cars, mm. including a lot of the favorites. And I'm not sure if they've they've either red flagged the race, certainly under caution, but it's going to take a while to clean up after this because they were running three wide, and one of the cars in the middle of the pack turned the wrong way. And mm-hmm. after that, it just started a, a mayhem of cars going into the infield grass and up into the wall. Yeah, it'll take a while to clean this out and sort things back up to figure out. The, the one lucky guy, Ross Chastain, who's the leader, saw it in his rearview mirror. It happened directly behind him but he was able to sneak through. So he's in good shape to, uh, to win here tonight. We do have red flag conditions, 40 lead changes, 19 leaders. Ross Chastain with eight laps to go will start as the leader, followed by Alex Bowman, William Byron, Austin Sendrick, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe, Kyle Busch, A.J. Allmendinger, Eric Jones. That will be your top ten when they restart. Okay, it is time to talk some college baseball right here on Sports Talk. Just a bit outside as we welcome in Coach Jim Toman to Sports Talk after the opening weekend of the college baseball season on the D1 level all across the country. Coach, good evening. How are you? Phil, I'm doing great. That's a great first weekend, wasn't it? It was indeed. Who caught your eye? Was it the... um, was it the, the no-hitter by Gamecock pitching yesterday? Was it the offense up at Clemson? Was it something else around the uh, SEC, ACC? I know one thing. I, I, a lot of different things caught my eye. It was an unusual first weekend, but it's baseball. So anything can happen. Just when you think you haven't seen something in baseball, and then it happens right in front of you. But And that happened this this weekend as well. But I have – about 10 or 11 Toman tidbits, Phil, so you're going to have to give me more in a minute at the end. Let's do them. Go ahead and roll them out there. Toman tidbits. All right. Toman tidbits. Number one. Has to be number one. And it's in North Carolina, but it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Nationally, we're a national news network. This Toman tidbits goes national. Yes. Um, East Carolina's Parker Bird. Okay. First player, first of all, about a year and a half ago, he got in a boating accident. And he was an East Carolina recruit and really good baseball player. But he, he had an accident and, uh, unfortunately, ended up, ended up having 22 surgeries in like 45 days. And and uh, they had to amputate his leg, okay? So it was a sad, sad deal for Parker. But. The first day on Friday night, he got a chance. Coach Godwin pinch hit him, and uh, he became the first player ever in Division One games to uh, play uh, with a prosthetic leg. Fantastic. One leg. Mm. Yeah, that was, was really awesome. cool. And then he walked, too, and it wasn't no gimme walk. I mean, they were throwing him curveballs, fastballs, whatever. Um, and he got to play. So, shout out to Parker Bird. That man is incredible. Okay, number two, this guy's going to need a trainer. 
Sacramento State, all the way in California we're going to, have a left-handed hitter named Matt Masciangelo. Sounds like a good Italian brother mm. to me. But in a doubleheader, Phil, got hit by a pitch seven times. <laughs> wow. Seven. Okay, that, that caught my eye. And they finally pinched it for him in the second game. Guess what that guy did? Got hit by a pitch. Oy. But anyway, yeah. So I, I just thought that uh, that was neat to listen to. And then on that broadcast, they said California has 26 Division One programs. Uh, you know, South Carolina has a lot of really good college baseball programs. We have nine. Mm. And that's how uh, you're talking about the size of California and the number of players out there. They have 26. Okay, number three, we'll give Coach Gilmore a shout-out in his first game, 26 to nothing in the opener. Against George Mason, who's a good program, was in a regional last year. They had 15 hits, five doubles, three triples, 13 walks, five hit by a pitch. Uh, they got uh, George Mason had two errors, but anyway, twenty-six nothing. Mm. That's college baseball. Mm. I don't know if, that, if that's college baseball at its finest, or that's crazy. But twenty-six nothing, a lot of high-scoring games over the weekend. <clears throat> okay, the South Carolina programs. The top three in our state are obviously Clemson, South Carolina, Coastal, in no order. South Carolina goes three and zero. Clemson goes three and zero. Coastal, after the big win, they lost to Indiana and Duke in a fairly close game, so they only went one and two. But it looked to me like Indiana was the the best team in that re, that that tournament this year, uh, this or last week. And uh, you know they looked like an easy regional, maybe super regional team, maybe even better. I mean it's early, but uh, Indiana and Duke look pretty darn good. So. Um, the other guys in the state, Winthrop uh, was playing a, a nice team, uh, and they ended up they, they went 0 and 3, but they had two close games. And Rutgers is a really good program from up obviously up in New Jersey, so they played a tough tough weekend against Rutgers. Uh, Presbyterian went 4 and 0. Of course, they had St. Peter's in town, and uh, St. The Peacocks. Peter's hasn't, hasn't, the, the Peacocks. Yeah, is that? Yeah, well, that's 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 a tidbit. That's a Phil Cornbert tidbit that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But they're they're not too good right now. Yep. But maybe they'll get better. USC Upstate played Kentucky, and they actually played them pretty close. They lost all three, but a couple of the games uh, were, were were like two or three runs. College of Charleston handled Marshall very easily. Chad Holbrook's got a nice squad down there. They, they went four zero. They, they won again today. They're four zero. Yeah, four and zero. Four and zero. And then, uh, then Charl, then Charleston Southern went two and one. Uh, Delaware State isn't exactly the best team in the country, but it's good to get off. Anytime you win two out of three on the weekend, that's a nice job by Charleston Southern. And Wofford, who's been a really underrated program in the last five six years, they've done a nice job over there. They swept Towson. Um, not great competition, but Wofford is a solid, solid program. They went 3-0. and So, all in all, the in-state guys did good. Um, 
My buddy up at NC State, Elliot Avent, head coach, 1,000 victories on Sunday. Uh, that win was his 1,000th coaching victory. NC State and New Mexico State. And I told Elliot on the phone that he's either really, really good or really, really old. That's what I told him. Let but me ask you this. Do you, have the NC State fans gotten over the departures of Ray Tanner and Jim Toman from Raleigh to Columbia? Have they ever gotten over that? You know what? I, I, I'm not really – haven't been invited back too much to Raleigh, so I don't know if they like <laughs> me up there anymore. But uh, i tell you one thing. L.A. Damon has done a really nice job since Coach Tanner left. It's very difficult to replace a guy like Coach Tanner. And Coach Tanner left NC State and ended up going to Omaha six times for the Gamecocks and, and winning two national titles. I think Coach Tanner did pretty darn well. But uh, – yeah, it was difficult to leave because both Coach Tanner and I played there, and uh, you know they even gave me two degrees. I would I would assume Coach Tanner has two as well from there. But uh, are they as so, easy uh, to get at North Carolina State as they are at North Carolina? Oh no, it, you know I, most people usually you know they they get accepted at North Carolina, and the only reason they go is because they got denied at NC State. I got you. I got you. <laughs> from an NC State perspective. I understand. No, both both programs are really good, obviously. Yep. Okay, tidbit number seven, South Carolina seven-inning no-hitter. I think it was Kimball that started that game, and i got to give Ty Good a shout-out. I recruited him to the College of Charleston for Chad Holbrook. He's with the Gamecocks now, and he threw two shutout innings. And he's going to be a good arm for the Gamecocks for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Marlett, Pitzer, and Dean finished it up. And, heck, Dean, Dean he, he grew up with my boys up in Virginia. He throws awful hard, and he had transferred in from Virginia Tech. So uh, already seeing the value of the portal with uh, you know, three of them pitchers. I, I'm pretty sure Kimball was from Notre Dame, and Good was from College of Charleston, and Dean was from Virginia Tech. But overall, Coach Williams, pitching coach, South Carolina, 25 innings. Three earned runs all weekend, 27 Ks. Only gave up two extra base hits all weekend. So shout out Coach Williams, and that's why he's at South Carolina. He's very good. Okay. My move of the day, Phil. Yes. Coach Kingston. Coach Kingston, this is this is an underrated move, and not many people understand it. But in the very first game, it, it, it was 5-1 to one in the seventh inning. And we had a young, inexperienced pitcher in, and, he, and the bases were loaded with no outs. Okay, we're only in the seventh inning. Instead of waiting until the ninth to put Veach in, his closer, he put Veach in in the seventh inning, and Veach gets out of it. Great move by Coach Kingston. And uh, I learned that way back when uh, we were playing NC State one time when I was at Liberty, and Tom Holliday was the pitching coach, and we were hammering their starter which isn't supposed to happen when you're at Liberty playing at North Carolina State. Tom Holliday walks out there, and they go warm up. It was either their Friday guy or their closer in the first inning Mm. because he saw at at some point in the game is when you're going to need a shutdown guy. If it gets out of control, the game's over. And Coach Kingston and Coach Williams must have been on the same page there saying, this is the game 
It's the seventh inning, but Veach is our guy, and we need to get out of this because they're one swing away from getting tied up. So great move by uh, Kingston to bring his his you know his most experienced guy in and a guy that they trust late in the game, and he brought him in in the seventh instead of the ninth. I thought that was excellent. Um, Clemson offensive numbers were very good. Uh, on day one, I think they hit two grand slams overall, three and oh, 33 runs, hit 376, slugged 604 on base 515. I'm sure Coach Backett and Coach Noble will take, and Coach Leggett will take them numbers any day. So, really good start for South Carolina and Clemson. Um, two more tidbits here, probably the most important one. Um, I heard Coach Kingston say that uh, before the game Friday that they honored Tommy Moody in the press box prior to the game. I thought that was a really nice gesture by Coach Kingston and the Gamecocks and the athletic department and Coach Tanner. And then I also saw uh, on Twitter the radio booth outside at, at Founder Stadium, outside the radio booth I saw a sign that said Tommy Moody on the outside of the booth. So yes. I yes. That was, I thought that was, that was awesome on the athletic department side. Absolutely. Other than that, that that's my Tolman tidbits of the week. That's great, fantastic. Great and a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. I like it when you come prepared and we'll look for more next week at this time with some uh, Tolman tidbits as we go just a bit outside. You got it, big guy. Have a good one. Great talking to you. Thank you, coach. Love it. Coach Jim Toman, yes, sir. Ready to roll, wasn't he? He was. Didn't have anything to ask him. I was surprised he said that Indiana looked the best of the uh, four teams down at Coastal this past weekend because I thought Duke looked outstanding. Yeah. And when you hit 11 home runs in one game, that'll sort of skew your opinion of the team. I like the way he did that, though. I think that's a good move on his part just to give us his variety of tidbits and thoughts from what he sees over the weekend. Mm-hmm. We'll just stay we out of it. Off that. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the old, um, you know, intentional walk. We're just going to intentionally sit back and let him spew his good stuff. All right. Um, now they're in a yellow flag setting. Still eight laps to go. So nothing's changed at Daytona. No. So with that being said, let's get to the recruiting report tonight. All right. Recruiting never is red flagged. Never is yellow flagged. It's green flag all the way with recruiting, and it's brought to you by Seawells, the daily luncheon buffet on this week at Seawells, Monday through Friday from 11 till 2. Make sure you get over there for that at least once, maybe twice. You, you deserve at least two visits to Seawells a week. Make it a doubleheader at Seawells. And 11 to 2, only $14. You will not be disappointed. And, of course, with the uh, – with the party season and the festival season and the marriage seasons all coming up here in spring and summer, you want the very best in the catering business. That is the folks at Seawells. 803-771-7385 is their number online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. So we checked in on linebacker Chase Taylor, 63210, Stockbridge, Georgia. Can play middle, can play weak, can play nickel. Last season, over 90 tackles, six sacks, two interceptions. Got programs across the country offering him, including Clemson and South Carolina. He's familiar with both. He went to camps at both last summer. 
He's not been on a recruiting visit to either school yet, but he plans to change that this spring and or summer. He went to junior days at Georgia and Georgia Tech in January. He's also planning to visit Michigan and Southern Cal in the coming months. Clemson defensive coordinator Wes Goodwin is leading the recruiting charge for the Tigers. He was in to see Taylor in January and has invited him in to their junior day on March the 9th. He says they have a good relationship and they like his height, his size, his length, how he runs, and he tells him, Goodwin tells him that he really likes him, likes the way he plays, and they have a good thing going. Now, Clayton White at South Carolina, the D.C., who's also the linebacker's coach for the Gamecocks, like Goodwin is the linebacker's coach for the Tigers. He's heading up the efforts for USC, and he was by the school in January a couple of times to see Taylor, And Shane Beamer has contacted him directly, and so he's hearing from the Gamecocks head coach, and that impresses him. And he likes their coaches, and they do stay in contact with him. They've been texting here and there, as he put it. So he also has offers from NC State, Louisville, West Virginia, Indiana, Vandy, Pitt, Michigan, East Carolina, Mississippi State, Missouri, Kansas, Duke, and Florida State, which was his first offer. He's not yet formed a list of favorites. He does plan to take some officials this summer. Those are still to be determined. And after that, he should have a good idea of the top schools with him. Update on South Carolina quarterback target Ryan Montgomery of Finley, Ohio, from his dad, Mike. They are currently focused on the basketball playoffs that start March 1st. After basketball ends, they'll take a week off for spring break. They will take one or two visits for spring practice in April with the schools and dates to be determined. They visited USC, Georgia, and Florida for junior days in January. Last season, they went to games at USC, Florida, Auburn, and Penn State, and they also visited USC last spring. USC's in the top 10 with offensive tackle Kevin Wynn, 6'4", 330, Greensboro, Georgia. The others are Florida State, Georgia, Alabama, LSU. All right, LSU. LSU. They got uh, a lot of offers from LSU. Florida, Michigan, NC State, Tennessee, and Southern Cal. I wiped out my copy there for some reason. Uh, Center Isaac Souls of Louisville named a top 10 of USC, Louisville, Kentucky, Miami, NC State, Penn State, Vanderbilt, West Virginia, Virginia, and Indiana. Hale McGranahan, Big Spur, who was down at Myrtle Beach watching some guys in a 7-on-7, said Heathwood Hall corner Onus Conanbani has set official visits to North Carolina June 7th and Penn State June 14th, and he plans to set one up with South Carolina as well, and he also plans to get to South Carolina for some spring practices since they are so close by. Clemson target defensive end Bryce Davis has set an official visit to North Carolina June 7th. He made visits in January to Georgia, Duke, and North Carolina. Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney had a school visit with him on January 18th. He was last at Clemson for a game in November. He was offered by the Tigers last June and visited there June 10th. USC's among the four programs offensive lineman Juan Gaston of Atlanta named as most involved with him right now, according to a story by Chad Simmons of On3. Gaston has set official visits in June for Georgia, USC, Oregon, and he cited 
Southern Cal as the fourth school. He visited USC for a junior day January 27th and for a game in October. Rock Hill wide receiver Malik Clark has sent an official visit to North Carolina June 7th. He sent with USC the previous weekend. And let's see here what else. Clemson USC target defensive end Isaiah Gibson. Warner Robins, Georgia, was offered by Alabama. T.L. Hanna, corner Cam Strong, offered by Tulane. And that's it. I think we've done it all. Offensive tackle Mason Short of Evans, Georgia, from Friday. He named the top four Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, and Kentucky. There you go. There you go with recruiting. Brought to you by Seawells. Sir, what else do you have? The Xfinity race is supposed to run tonight at 9 o'clock. Good luck. After, uh, yeah, exactly. It's not going to start, you wouldn't think, right at 9. My question is, because they couldn't run it this morning, which was originally planned because of the weather, how, what percentage of the 100,000 people that stuck around today for the 500 will stay around later on tonight to watch the Xfinity race? Do they get 10% to stay? I would say 25,000. Okay. Yeah. So 25 20, that wouldn't be bad. I mean, that's another opportunity to drink beer. Quarter to stay, Sure. Don't they wipe the slate clean? Like, if you have a limit for the 500, do you get a new limit <laughs> for the Xfinity race, you know, and eat some more barbecue? Now, now, one thing I did hear, that if you had a ticket for either race, uh, Daytona said you could come and watch them both, which I thought was kind of cool. That is. I hate it for them that this thing got washed out till yeah, today. Me I mean, you know, you just you just Heck hate of that. a race, though, on a Monday. Yeah. I mean, it's been a really good race, it appears. We're still in a yellow flag now. Correct. 195 of 200 laps down, so... Five more laps? Or do you count? Let us see. Six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, five more laps. And Ross Chastain leads William Byron, Alex Bowman, Austin Sendrick, and Chase Elliott. That's your top five. Let's go to Bruce with us next. This says Newberry, but Bruce is normally in Missouri. Are you in Newberry for some reason? Or did Josh miss? Huh? I've never been to Newberry. Are you still in Missouri? Wow. I'm still in Branson, Missouri. I'm an old Abbeyvillian. Yeah, well, we know we know your history. We I know the history. Terrible yeah. hearing. Yeah, yeah okay. we got to get Josh some hearing aids or something. Uh, go okay. ahead. No problem. Anyway, I, I got an analogy of the chicken, uh, the Gamecock uh, curse, chicken curse. There's no such thing as a chicken curse. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, one leg is the viewer criticizes the coach or whatever, like the guy in Greenwood. Um, from their perspective, but the coach is right there on the playing field, and he doesn't see what the the uh, television shows at, from a, uh, a different vantage point. Therefore, the uh, fans should, uh, thinks that there's the coach is seeing what they're seeing, and the coach doesn't see what they're seeing, and therefore they uh, criticize the coach coach to the uh, maximum degree. Hmm. Um, being a coach, I, I was a coach too, and I was a football player. Anyway, anyway uh, <clears throat> you do what your your game plan was supposed to do, and you stick to it the best you can, and you make different uh, decisions as the game goes along. And if it's the right decision, it's just just guess from your rear end, you know, to try to get the game won. Anyway, that's my um, point of view, and I hope. Uh, Gamecock people decide they are not the coach, but just the fans. Thank you. Of course, try and sell that to any fan base. 
No, I wouldn't. Every fan base is loaded with coaches, man. Thank you very much. Loaded with coaches. But, you know, here's another example of you'd ever know in basketball, Chris. Virginia is playing in Blacksburg. Now, Virginia just pulled out a win on Saturday at home. They are trailing Virginia Tech at the half, 36-16. Game's way too fast for UVA. Tech's on pace for 72 points. South Carolina After winning, what, 49-47 on Saturday? Yeah. South Carolina State is playing at Howard tonight, but they're delayed for some reason. And coming up in Charleston, William & Mary against the Cougars. That should be a good one on CBS Sports. Thank you, Chris. Yes, sir. Thank you, Josh. Have a great night, everybody. See you tomorrow.